We are especially delighted to have our brother David Warwick with us uh, all the way from Ballymena. And um, he's a very busy man, not only looking after his own day job, but looking after his sheep as well. And we trust that they're all lambing well for you, David. And we're going to ask you now to come and minister to us your first two pieces. Thank you. for tomorrow there been times I didn't know right from
certainly helped you to sing that. Jesus is the answer. It's not the message that we want to get out right across this province. Amen. And to be able to say, I've learned to trust in Jesus through it all. That's a wonderful testimony in itself. Could I invite you to turn with me just for a second to Psalm 107. Reverend Ferguson, no doubt, will read from the scriptures a little later in the sharing of his testimony. We have a very high view of the Bible in the Free Presbyterian Church. We probably could describe ourselves as a high church in that sense. And we believe the Bible to be the infallible and errant word of God. And of course, as Proverbs 30 and 5 says, every word of God is pure and we believe that. Just going to read a few verses from Psalm 107. The verse 1 says, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. 
Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Amen. We pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. tonight to welcome amongst us the Reverend Ferguson, uh, no stranger to many of us, and uh, we're delighted he was willing to come tonight and share a word of personal testimony. It's really good to have you, the Lord bless you, and really good that you brought your sister Heather along, and we do welcome you in the Lord's name. We'd ask you now just to share your testimony. God bless you. Mr. McLaughlin told me I could take as long as I liked and he might live to regret uh, that statement, uh, but it is nice to be with you and to be able to give a word of testimony. I'm going to read from Psalm 34, and we'll uh, commence reading at the beginning of the psalm. I'll not read all of the psalm, but we'll commence at the beginning of the psalm and read a number of verses from it. So Psalm 34, commencing at the first verse. It's a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. 
It says, who drove him away and he departed. Uh, So David failed terribly, and yet he can see the hand of the Lord, how the Lord uh, rescued and delivered him. So let's commence at verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Just uh, finish our reading there at uh, the verse uh, 10. And we'll bow together in a word of prayer. Our gracious, loving God, we pray that thou wilt have mercy upon us. We pray that thou wilt draw near to us. Help me, Lord, to give a faithful word of testimony, to give the credit uh, where it truly belongs. Uh, We can say not unto us, uh, not unto us, but unto thy great name, give glory. We ask thee, Lord, to pour out thy spirit, fill me with thy spirit, breathe thy spirit upon us. May we uh, know that thou art here. And Lord, when we leave this place, uh, may we be conscious uh, that God has drawn near and been very gracious and merciful to us. Forgive us our many sins, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The verse 6 says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And I like to turn to that verse. Uh, David speaking of himself, and he calls himself a poor man, and he says, He cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. It's a wonderful thing when the Lord hears and answers your prayer. And I'm very grateful to God that he heard my prayer many, many years ago and that he saved me. I can never, ever thank the Lord enough for saving my soul. Uh, Why was I made to hear his voice? The hymn writer said, And enter while there's room, while others make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. When I think of so many that I grew up with who are unsaved, many of them have passed into eternity, and yet here am I, and the Lord has had mercy on my soul and saved me, and I have a future, and I will one day be with Christ, which is far better. I was... I was born in Portadown. Uh, I grew up in County Fermanagh, but I was born in Portadown. The first three members of our family were born in Portadown. There were seven children of us. Uh, I was the second oldest. Heather, who's with me tonight, she's the second youngest. Uh, First one to be born in County Fermanagh was my brother Brian. And then uh, the others uh, were all born in County Fermanagh. So they're all Fermanagh people. Uh, I can choose. I can say uh, if Fermanagh's uh, being criticised, well, I'm not really from Fermanagh, but uh, if Fermanagh's being praised, I am a Fermanagh man, and I really am. Uh, I'm very uh, happy to have grown up and been educated uh, in County Fermanagh. Uh, and it's strange how we came to County Fermanagh because it had a tremendous bearing on our future. My father was an assistant manager in a creamery in a place called Killyman, uh, not far from Dungannon. And there were two creameries uh, in Killyman. One was a board creamery and the other was a cooperative society. And one man managed both. It was somewhat irregular. My father was hoping that he would give up one of them and he might have a chance of becoming manager. But the man showed no signs of, uh, of quitting. And so my father applied to become manager of a small creamery in County Fermanagh, and he was successful. And that took our family away from 
County Tyrone. Uh, so we've quite a mixture in this. Uh, we were living in Tyrone. Uh, my, two of my sisters were born along with myself in Portadown, but we never lived there. Uh, and uh, then we moved to County Fermanagh. And while we were in County Fermanagh, we came into contact uh, with a very godly family. The chairman of the Creamery Society was a man called George Gowan. Now, we never would have dreamt of calling him George. He was Mr. Gowan to us. And that family, the Gowan family, and many people know John Gowan because he sells so many books, but the Gowan family was to have a tremendous impact upon our family. Uh, after I had uh, left school, I went to work uh, in the Ulster Bank in 1965. And when I was uh, in the bank in Belfast, my friend Kenneth Gowan, Mr. Gowan's son, asked me to go along to hear him to Finnehy Methodist Church, uh, where he was giving his testimony. Now, Kenny was my close friend. He was a couple of years older, but he was my close friend. And I went along to hear him give his testimony. And afterwards, we had a discussion together. And I said to him, he was talking about getting saved, and I said, I suppose it's like getting married. And uh, he said, it's far more important. I must admit, at that time, uh, my thoughts were more on finding a girl and getting married than getting saved. So I didn't think it was nearly as important uh, getting saved as it was getting married. And then he asked me to go along uh, to hear Pastor Willie Mullen. And that was in February 1966. I can remember Sunday evening, uh, we went along to Great Victoria Street Baptist Church where Pastor Mullen was preaching. And I listened. It's the only time I ever heard Willie Mullen. And I listened, and he talked about the blood of Christ cleansing from sin. And I can remember also, after that meeting, arguing with my friend Kenneth and saying, how can the blood of one person save a whole lot of people? I, I could not see it. I couldn't grasp it. I had grown up uh, with what we might call a Church of Ireland Methodist background. Uh, we went to the Methodist Church because it was nearest, but really we were Church of Ireland at the time. And my view was this, that if your good deeds outweighed your evil deeds, you'd get to heaven. But if it were the other way round, then you would be lost and go to hell. And I had a fear of death. I really had a fear of death. I remember lying awake in my bed, afraid to die. And my thought was, I haven't enough good works. If I die, I'll go to hell. And I used to think to myself, as I was lying in bed, I must start reading my Bible and praying. And we had a little prayer, obviously, all of us, because everybody prayed at that time, a little prayer, you jumped into bed, you never read your Bible. You didn't possess a personal Bible. There might have been a Bible in the home, but you didn't have a personal Bible. But I determined I would start reading the Bible, start praying. That was when I was in bed at night time. But see, in the morning, when the morning came, that fear disappeared. And I forgot all about what I intended to do, what I was resolving to do at night time. And then came that time when I listened to uh, Pastor Mullen and he preached about the blood of Christ. And then the same night, we went along to the Ulster Hall to listen to Dr. Paisley. And I enjoyed it. This is a terrible thing to say. I enjoyed it when he was saying, O'Neill must go. And uh, there should be a political change. But I wasn't so keen on hearing what he had to say about the gospel. Then there was a mission came. In fact, it was that week it was starting uh, in the old Ravenhill Road uh, church. And of course, my friend uh, suggested that we go along uh, to the meeting. And we arranged to go on the Wednesday night uh, of the meeting. That was, uh, I think, the 16th of February, uh, 1966. So I was asked to go along 
and I agreed. Uh, as it turned out, my friend Kenneth took the flu, and his brother Willie and his wife Florence, they took me to the meeting. And that meeting stands out, uh, firstly, for this reason. Uh, the Gowan men never sang. And I don't think they sing to this day. Uh, they were in church, but they didn't sing. And by the time that uh, I had gone to that meeting, we were now attending the Church of Ireland, and we didn't sing. You just stood there. The choir sang. You didn't sing. So I was standing beside uh, Willie, uh, a police officer, six foot two or three, and two Americans were leading the meeting. Dr. Paisley was sick that night. And the man who was leading the singing stopped and he pointed to us and he said, hey, can you two guys not sing? <laughs> uh, you'd wonder uh, how we survived uh, the embarrassment and the humiliation. But that night I remember uh, the preacher and he preached about uh, the courage that's needed to stand for Christ. Uh, he said, it takes no courage to stand at the street corner as a teddy boy. In case you don't know what they look like, they uh, had these pointy-toed shoes and uh, hair whiffed up. Uh, better watch what I'm saying because Mr. McLaughlin's as well whiffed up. Uh, but <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble at the end of this meeting. Uh, but they hair whiffed up and they do pointy-toed shoes uh, and uh, all uh, sorts of outfits uh, and he said, it takes no courage to stand at the street corner as a teddy boy, but it takes courage to stand uh, for the Lord. Now, as he preached, he came to the end of the message, and he said, if you're concerned about your soul, I want you to pray this prayer. And it was, uh, I am not sure that my sins are forgiven. I am not sure that I'm going to heaven, but I want to be. And I remember that prayer that was given to us that night. And I prayed it with all my heart. I cried to the Lord and I repeated those words because I had no assurance of sins forgiven. But I wanted, I wanted to have that assurance. I wanted to have peace with God. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And then the preacher said, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to do something. I want you to put up your hand. Now, the church was packed. There were probably about 500 people in the church. And I can remember where I was sitting. And I put up my hand thinking probably, but I can't even recall if I did think this way, but probably thinking there would be others. And then he said, if you put up your hand, when he had finished his prayer, I want you to come up to the front and stand at the front. And when I came up to the front, I discovered I was the only one. And I'm a very shy person uh, by nature. So it was very difficult for me. So uh, it was a difficult situation, a double embarrassment, uh, but the Lord's very gracious, and the Lord is very merciful. And afterwards, I was counseled uh, and shown as many as received him. To them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And uh, that was the, uh, the, the turning point uh, in my life. And when I came home, I told the family. I remember, uh, because I hadn't a car at the time, uh, my father picked me up uh, at, at the Diamond in Enniskillen, and I thought, better tell them, because there was nobody in the family saved. Better tell them. And I told them about going to the meeting and what I had done, and they laughed. And that was a major discouragement to me. Uh, nobody saved, and when I said I have got saved, uh, they laughed at me. And I did go on somewhat, uh, and I knew I was saved, but little by little, I slipped back, not majorly into the world, because I was never deep into the things of the world, but I slipped back until, uh, if I move forward a little in time, 
early 1969. I was uh, staying in a flat in Belfast at that time, along with uh, other men, most of whom were working in the Ulster Bank, as I was. And they were organizing a party in the flat. And God was dealing with me. And I can say this, when, uh, when I wasn't going on with the Lord, I was most unhappy. I was most unhappy. There was just a, a, a deep-seated unhappiness in my heart. And I, I knew, I knew that there had to come a crunch, uh, that I couldn't go on in this way. And I was sharing a room uh, with another man. He started in the Ulster Bank the very same day as I did. And he was working in a, a branch of the Ulster Bank. I was working in the head office at the time. And he said to me, will you come to the party? And I said to him, his name was also Gordon. I said, I can't go. And then I spilled it out. I said, I can't go because I'm saved. And that was the turning point. I said earlier was the turning point. It was as regards my salvation. But as regards the stand that I took, that was the turning point in my life because I never looked back from that time onwards. I had firmly nailed my colors uh, to the mast. Uh, I can't go because I'm saved. And what is interesting is, uh, I didn't know it, but in the branch of the bank that uh, he was working in, a brethren man had been coming in. He was on the cash. And this man had been witnessing to him. And sometime later, that man also was wonderfully saved from his sins. But that was the turning point in my life. And something wonderful happened also at that time. When I nailed my colors to the mast, I became friendly with a family that lived next door. We, we were right up at the Antrim Road in Belfast staying. I can remember the number 230 Antrim Road near Atlantic Avenue, which became a very notorious spot. Uh, every day when I was walking down to the bank, I used to walk past uh, Jerry Fitz's home, 85 Antrim Road. I remember all those details. Remember the color of the house that, that I walked past. But next door, there was a Christian bookshop. And Mr. and Mrs. Pinkerton uh, were the owners of that Christian bookshop. And when I came right through and took my stand for the Lord, I got uh, to know Mr. and Mrs. Pinkerton, became friendly with them, and they said to me, how many are there in your family? And I told them, and they said, we'll have to pray for them. And that encouraged me that there was one thing that I thought would never happen. I thought my father would never get saved. I really did fear that. That was a fear from the day I was saved. And I dreaded, I dreaded the day when my father would die and we would stand around the grave and I would know that my father wasn't saved. You might say that was irrational. Well, it was a real fear with me. I, I dreaded it and I thought he would never get saved. And Mr. and Mrs. Pinkerton encouraged me to pray for my family. And you know, the amazing thing is, uh, some years later, the Reverend Gordon Cook uh, had the joy of pointing my father and mother to Christ. So what I dreaded, uh, it did not happen. The Lord saved them. And uh, 1969 was a great year because I, I tell you this uh, with the most grateful heart. That was the year that my wife was saved. She used to write it in her Bible, 27th of April, 1969. Uh, and uh, recently in a Bible that she had, uh, I wrote it down. Born, uh, when she was born on the 29th of January, 1950, saved the uh, 27th of April, 1969, as a teenager, after a meeting in Lisbalaw, she went home to the flat she was staying in, and she got down at the side of her bed, 
and she asked the Lord to save her. And I can say she never looked back. And uh, she had a wonderful, uh, wonderful testimony. Uh, the Lord saved her and the Lord changed uh, her life completely. After she was saved, she attended uh, the Free Presbyterian Church and joined the Free Church in Lisbelo. And she and a friend on their day off from work uh, used to go out around uh, parts of County Fermanagh and give out gospel tracts. Uh, that's the type of person uh, that uh, she was. So 1969 uh, was a great year. And at the end of that year, I was uh, attending the Church of Ireland, uh, hadn't left, uh, hadn't joined any Free Presbyterian Church, uh, didn't even know at that stage that there was a Free Presbyterian Church in Fermanagh. I had uh, these friends, the Pinkertons, and I went to Brethren prayer meetings with them. And then uh, in October 1969, the Martyrs Memorial Church opened, and Mr. Pinkerton knew Dr. Paisley well, so he suggested that we go to the prayer meetings in the Martyrs. So I started to attend the prayer meetings, and then the Reverend Foster, Ivan Foster, had a gospel mission, uh, I think it was about November time, 1969, in Springfield Orange Hall. And I went to that mission, and I never heard preaching like it. Uh, I could have sat there for hours, and nothing would satisfy me, but I must get to his church in Lisbelaw. It wasn't long afterwards uh, that I left the Church of Ireland and attended uh, and joined the Free Presbyterian Church in Lisbelaw. But of course, uh, that's where I met Anne. Uh, my future wife. When I was out in Singapore and I was asked to give my testimony, some of the young people uh, said to me, how did you know that your wife uh, was the right person for you to marry? And uh, well, it does begin with appreciating what you see. Uh, I've got to say that. Uh, uh, if I hadn't been attracted in that way, uh, it would have been rather more difficult. And when I asked her out, she consented. And uh, I knew, I knew even before I asked her out uh, that I was going to marry her. I wasn't the sort of person that was going to ask a girl out and then uh, chop and change and move from one girl to another. Uh, I, I don't know how I pick, plucked up the courage to ask her out to begin with, uh, but I did. Uh, and that was the mercy of God. And after we had decided to get married, I was reading Psalm 128. Now, I didn't know uh, how that psalm ran. Uh, it says at the beginning, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. And it says, For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. And I was reading that. And I remember distinctly saying to the Lord, not knowing what was else in the psalm, saying to the Lord, I want to be that person. I, I want to be that person. Uh, the one that fears the Lord, that walks in his ways, and happy shalt thou be, it shall be well with thee. To my amazement, and remember I'm, uh, I'm now uh, not far from getting married. Uh, I have made my proposal, it's been accepted, and we're going to get married. The next verse says, thy wife. That was amazing. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. And the last verse says, Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. I knew. I knew before I got married that we would have children. And I knew before we got married that we would have grandchildren. Uh, that was a promise very distinctly. It came to me most powerfully at, at that time. And we were married on the 6th of March, 1971. And I can say this. That was the happiest day of my life. The happiest day of my life. It wasn't the best day, because the best day was the day I was saved. That affected uh, my eternal destiny being saved. I could have been married a hundred years. If I were not saved, I could be happy 
but it wouldn't have made any impact on my eternal destiny. It was salvation in Christ and what he did for me and dying for me upon the cross, shedding his blood for me, that changed my whole destiny. And I will always, always be grateful to God for saving my soul. Always be grateful to Christ that he looked upon me, that he drew me to himself and cleansed me in his precious blood. I do not deserve to be saved and nobody deserves to be saved. Why he saved me, I do not know. But I am grateful. I'm grateful. When you go through hard times, it's tremendous to have solid ground uh, under your feet and to know Jesus Christ is your Savior, that you're clothed in his righteousness, that you're cleansed in his blood, that no matter how great a wretch you are, he has saved you. As John Newton expressed it, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So the best day was the day I was saved. The happiest day, and you might say, why was the day you were saved not the happiest day? Well, your emotions sometimes are all through other. Uh, and you have the devil attacking, but the day I was married was the happiest day of my life. And the Lord gave us five children. Stephanie born the next year, then uh, Paul the following year, and then David the next year. So my wife had her hands full. And then we had a nine and a half year gap. And then we had another four year gap. And now we have uh, 10 grandchildren uh, ranging uh, from uh, three years old uh, to uh, 16 or 16, uh, well, just over 16. So the Lord has been uh, very merciful to us and he has saved our children and he worked also in our family. I have one sister that is not saved yet, but the Lord was so good. First one after myself to be saved was my brother Brian. And Brian, I can say, just as Anne, he never looked back. The Lord's hand was upon him and uh, he preached in some of our churches. He worked in the uh, uh, water service as an engineer there. And uh, he preached. He was an elder in Lisbon. And then when he moved to Oma, he was an elder in Oma Church. And uh, by the time that he passed away with cancer, uh, my mother and father, had, well, my father was dead by that time, but my mother, she was saved. And Brian said to my mother, uh, three and a half months before she died, uh, just before he died himself, he said, I'll be your senior in heaven. And he was her senior in heaven by approximately three and a half months. And then the year that Brian was saved, my youngest sister, Cynthia, got saved. The following week, Heather, who's here, got saved. Uh, and then uh, next after that was my brother, Keith. Just before we got married, uh, Dr. Bill Wood spoke in our church in Lisbelaw. And I listened and I was grieved. I had tried my best to get Keith to come to the meeting and I couldn't persuade him. He was about 15 or 16 at the time. But after I came home, I was sharing a bedroom with him and I began to speak to him and tell him all that Dr. Woods had said in that meeting. As I spoke to him, Keith became concerned and he got out of bed, for he was in bed at the time, and he got down at the side of the bed, and he asked the Lord to save him. That was the 31st of January, 1971. And uh, the Lord blessed him, and the Lord undertook for him. My sister Diana got saved. Uh, the Lord has been so good to us, and the Lord has blessed us. Uh, my first speaking opportunities, the Lord was dealing with me about coming into the ministry and leaving the bank. And my first opportunity to preach came in a prayer meeting in Lisbelaw. Mr. Foster was conducting a gospel mission in Londonderry, and he left it to the men to decide who would speak at the prayer meeting. Now, I was a bit of a newcomer, maybe a year or two in the church, and I didn't I didn't expect to be asked, but as I travelled uh, to Oma, I was being transferred to the area office in the bank, and I travelled from home, it's about 30 miles by car, 
As I was traveling, a message began to form in my mind. And I thought, these men are going to ask me to take the prayer meeting some night. And I was a bit of a novice. I worked it all out as I traveled and I had a message, but I made no notes, no notes whatsoever. And sure enough, one uh, Tuesday or Wednesday night, I think it was Tuesday night, the men said to me, you'll speak tonight. So bold as brass, well, it wasn't that bold, but I got up with my message and I looked out and there were probably about 50 people there and my nerve just about failed me. Uh, I did speak for a very short time and I felt totally humiliated. Uh, and I remember going down to the door at the end of the prayer meeting. I had to shake hands with the people. There's a lady who still attends Bethel Church. She's been there for many, many years. And she's Mrs. Miller. And going out past, Mrs. Miller spoke to me. And she said, that was good. Oh dear, uh, it was not in my opinion. Uh, I could have crawled uh, into a hole. I thought I'd never be asked again. Well, uh, I was wrong because the next week I was asked. But the reason I was asked the next week was there were only two men at the prayer meeting and the other man didn't want to do it. Uh, there had been, uh, the, the new church was being built in Enniskillen and some cattle had broken in and were uh, up damaging the site. So all the men uh, who had arrived, they'd all gone. Uh, and there were just two men at the prayer meeting. And during the week, I had been meditating on a message. And this time, this time, uh, I got on much, much better. And the Lord put it into my heart uh, to, uh, to pray about uh, coming into the ministry uh, of the church. And as I prayed, the Lord gave me a strange verse. Because I'd been thinking in 1973 of commencing study. Should the Lord uh, give me clear indication, I'd been thinking of commencing study in 1973. Well, what happened was, that time, in the month of June, the, the Lord gave me a verse about David abiding a year and four months in the country of the Philistines. Well, when I looked at that, I said, June, our theological hall at that time commenced in October, a year and four months, that'll be October 1974. And uh, so I set aside thoughts of commencing to study in 1973. And uh, as time drew near, I prayed much and the Lord gave me clear indication in 1974, it was his will for me to apply for training uh, for the ministry. Now, if I'd started in 1973, and people think I have a, a sort of a, a bugbear about this, probably do have, but uh, uh, if I'd started in 1973, I'd have had to do three years. But then didn't they change the length of the course when we were halfway through, or two-thirds of the way through, and we ended up doing four years. And uh, Mr. Baxter also has a bit of a bee in his bond about that, so you might hear him say something about that uh, tomorrow night. When the Reverend Reggie Cranston gave his testimony uh, lately, well, about a year or so ago, maybe two years ago, he mentioned this fact, for Reggie and I were in the same year, and Reggie said he loved it so much he could have done ten years. And Mr. Baxter's comment afterwards was, he'd have been on his own. <laughs> he was not <laughs> totally impressed. But the Lord has, has been good. Uh, I've no bitterness. Uh, the Lord has been very gracious. And I was in Portland Own, a student minister, for nearly three years. Uh, then we went over to England uh, because I was interested. I believe the Lord had burdened my heart to go to London. I spent three years studying and a year as the national organizer of the British Council of Protestant Christian Churches. Then I received the call to Kilkeel where I spent 15 very happy years and the Lord was very gracious. But the burden for London uh, never left my heart. And I was given the opportunity when the church there was vacant, it was a very small work, I was given the opportunity to go over and preach. And I prayed very much about it. And I remember uh, the Reverend Ken Elliott was chairman uh, of 
uh, what was then the forward movement. And he and I and our wives were very friendly. And so um, he asked me first, would, would you be willing to do a month in London? And I said, yes. And I don't know what he detected, but he said, would you be interested in going there? And I told him what I, way I was thinking. And after I had been there for a month, the people were asked at the end of the month uh, if they would be willing to have me placed there because it wasn't a constituted work. And they were happy. And uh, we spent 15 years in Kilkeel, 15 years in London, and the Lord was, was very gracious to us. We loved our time in London uh, amongst the people there. Uh, we started off with about nine or ten, and uh, it was an all-white, all-male virtually uh, congregation. And the Lord opened up doors. We got a property. We uh, were able to have two services. More people came in, especially people from the uh, Caribbean and African communities, so that uh, our congregation is now about 80% black people. And we got on with them uh, we could say really like a house on fire. Anne started a junior church to allow uh, parents to come into the main service. And the church grew. By the time we left, we'd had 60, 65 uh, on uh, a Sunday morning. Uh, not nearly so many uh, in the Sunday evening. A number of people converted. And we had uh, children uh, at our youth club on a Friday night. And we did our best to get the gospel across to them. We started a good news club. Uh, on a Wednesday, uh, and we did have a Sunday school for a while, but it, it was very difficult to maintain, and that has really uh, sort of gone into the junior church, where there would be approximately 20 children in the junior church. We were able to purchase our own building, uh, and there's a building there, and there's a manse there, the property in London, and value isn't really material, but just to give you an idea of how merciful the Lord has been, the property in London is worth approximately one million pounds and there's scarcely any debt, uh, just a small amount, very manageable debt uh, on the church months. The Lord has blessed us and the Lord provided a fine man, a great man to succeed in the Reverend Patrick Baker. Patrick worked with us for three years. He and I looked after London and Lewis and uh, when I came to retirement age, uh, the church just before I reached 65, uh, it was constituted, and the next step was to call a minister. Well, I didn't think it was right uh, for me to, uh, to let my name go forward as I'd reached or almost reached retirement age, and Patrick received a unanimous call to the church. I stayed there uh, with him for about another six months, and I thought, and, and Patrick was most helpful. There was no question of Patrick ever trying to push me out. I was doing 70% 70, 70 of the preaching in London and about 30% in Lewis, and I thought we need to reverse this. Uh, I thought of going to Lewis, a very small work, or even going to Tavistock that I was responsible for, and I realized that was not the Lord's will. As I prayed about it, the Lord made it clear it was time to come home, uh, and I never expected to uh, become principal uh, of the college. I would have been very happy to uh, be assistant principal uh, if there had been such a post. I never saw myself as a principal, but the Lord uh, undertook for me for five years. And then when Anne became ill and she had many hospital appointments, uh, I felt it was time uh, to step down. Uh, she was diagnosed with advanced ovarian cancer on the 6th of September, 2017. Now, at first, uh, the treatment uh, appeared to, to work very well. And uh, our thought was she would be with us for six or seven years, and then maybe some, uh, if you know what I mean. If she got six or seven years, she could well have had another six or seven years and so on, because sometimes it happens that way. Uh, and after she had had an, oper an unsuccessful operation because her blood pressure dropped so alarmingly, they weren't able to continue with the operation. Uh, we spoke to uh, the surgeon and uh, uh, said to him, 
or he said, this isn't a solution. And I said, how long are you talking about? Anne was in recovery at the time. And uh, I said, are you talking weeks or months? He said, no, much better than that. So uh, we had thought that uh, she would be with us uh, for quite a number of years. Uh, but uh, alas, um, she lived just over 11 months uh, from the first news was given to us of uh, her cancer. Uh, and uh, she died unexpectedly. We think she uh, had a clot. Uh, and I can say this, I said the best day, or the happiest day rather, uh, was the day that we were married. Uh, the worst day, the worst day uh, was the day that she, she passed away. Uh, and as I say, she passed away uh, unexpectedly. She seemed to be doing very well at first, uh, but then uh, the cancer returned uh, and they were going to give her further treatment, but she never picked up enough strength for that. I may say as well that my sister who's with me, her husband was diagnosed with cancer six months before Anne and he passed away unexpectedly six months before Anne. On three occasions, they were in the same room in the city hospital having chemotherapy. And on one occasion, uh, they were uh, sitting side by side uh, in the city hospital. Uh, so uh, it, it's, uh, it's a situation that uh, you never expect. Uh, Anne looked very well. I have a photograph that I took of her six weeks before she died. And she looks in that photograph the picture of health. Now remember, uh, we took that photograph down at Loch Navarre in County Fermanagh, and I remember saying to her, uh, you look beautiful. Uh, little did I know that six weeks later, uh, she would slip from us. You may say our daughter Stephanie did heroic work, uh, giving her CPR and mouth to mouth uh, the night uh, she passed away. Uh, I was coming down the stairs when Stephanie called uh, frantically, and I knew there was something terrible that happened, but there was no further response. She had arrested, she was gone. Not long before she died, uh, she said to me, and she, she, this was constant with her, she said, I have no fear of death. I have no fear of death. And her, she said, I don't want to leave you. And she said, I'd like to see the grandchildren uh, grown up more. Uh, and well, that would have been wonderful. And I will say this. In health and strength, I would gladly take her back, but not to suffer. Not to suffer. And I know where she is. Uh, and uh, we know where my brother-in-law is. Uh, we know that they're rejoicing. Uh, they're with the Lord. But we're still here. And that means the Lord uh, has work for us to do. Uh, I feel that one of my great tasks is to keep praying for our children and for our grandchildren and to keep serving the Lord as openings come to us. I want to serve the Lord with my whole heart. I feel I've served him so feebly up to now. I want to serve him with my whole heart because he is worthy. He is worthy. The, the, Mr. McLaughlin has already quoted the words, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then, of course, uh, there's something else I want to do. I want to honor my wife's memory. Uh, it speaks of Abel, he being dead yet speaketh. Uh, I have had tremendous testimonies paid uh, to Anne. Uh, people that worked with her that didn't know she had passed away, when they heard, they were shocked and wrote beautiful tributes to her. Uh, George McConnell, Book George, as we called him in Kilkeel, uh, told me that the day they heard in Kilkeel that she had cancer, that there was such a shock uh, in the church, it was as if, it was as if she were still in the manse uh, over the wall from the church. Uh, she made an impact. Uh, wherever she went. Uh, indeed, uh, I don't know where I would have been. I don't know where I'd have been without her. Uh, she spoilt the life out of me. Uh, one of my sisters said to me, she was more like a sister to us than a sister-in-law. And my parents, 
I know my parents loved her. I think if I had fallen out with Anne, my parents would have taken her side. And I've no doubt about that. Uh, they, they, they loved her uh, as a daughter. I loved her as a wife. And every day, every day I miss her. Every day I can say this. Every day, without fail, I thank God for her. Uh, she was a, a shining example. I'd sooner give her testimony, you know, than give my own, uh, because she had such a good and bright and loving testimony. And so many people have tra paid tribute to her. And uh, as the, uh, the worthy Archibald Brown um, uh, said, uh, you know, about Spurgeon, that uh, we bid you not uh, farewell, we bid you good night. And he spoke about one day hoping to praise God with the great uh, C.H. Spurgeon. Well, one day, along with my dear wife, uh, and others, uh, others of the saints of God, uh, we will praise God. We'll sing uh, the song of the redeemed, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Uh, my testimony has very little to do with myself because I feel a complete failure, but my testimony has everything to do with Christ. What a saviour, what a friend. Uh, if you know him, serve him. If you don't know him, come to him. Call upon his name that you might experience peace with God and everlasting life in your soul.